Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, as most of you will know on the show, we've been tracking the events in Toronto and around the province of Ontario fairly closely in terms of the huge protests against the sex ed curriculum that Premier Kathleen Wynne would like to implement. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a one-hour special where we talked to uh, British journalist Peter Hitchens as well as Scott Mason of the Ezra Institute on sex education. But there was one other person that I really wanted to talk to about this issue because it's someone who wrote a brilliant book that I read some time ago and it's one of those books that just really stands out for me as definitive on its topic. And that book is A Return to Modesty by Wendy Shallot. It's one of those books that's exceptional in almost every way. The writing is brilliant and eminently readable. It's, it's just really, really easy to read because it's, it's shot through with a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, from her own life. And she basically goes through how modesty used to be a cultural virtue that didn't just involve what you did or did not wear, but was an attitude through which you approached life and that our culture has lost something, uh, something extremely valuable when we decided that modesty was no longer something to be valued in any way and she actually had quite a brilliant chapter that she, in which she dealt with sex education and it was because of that that I actually wanted to uh, call her and have a conversation about what's going on here in Ontario especially considering the fact that uh, although uh, Wendy Shaw grew up in the United States she actually ended up moving to the city of Toronto when she got married. So I, I really hope that you'll enjoy this conversation I had with Wendy Shallot and that you appreciate her insights as much as I did. My first question is on modern sex education. I'd like to draw insights on your book, A Return to Modesty, in which you extensively discuss uh, sex education in a chapter that you call The War on Embarrassment, and you talk about uh, some sort of humorous stories about what kids will say to each other with this new information they have, and then some uh, very devastating and sad stories about what kids will do and say to each other after finding out uh, all of this new information. Like, in the light of what what's going on today, how would you uh, view sex education? Has your view changed since you wrote this book? Well, you know, there's the content of the sex ed controversy, what's in the curriculum, but then there's the underlying philosophy. Uh And I think others have done a good job of pointing out why the content may be problematic. Uh But to me, the underlying philosophy has to be looked at to have the total picture. And to say that we could even have a successful sex education in schools, to me, it's a little like saying, you know, communism would work if only we had the right people in power. Right, right. You know, the whole philosophy of don't be embarrassed, right, that is taught as part of all sex education presentations is very problematic to me. And I experienced this as a child um, in fourth grade because that's the first thing that they said in sex ed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. But, you know, embarrassment can be very protective. Uh-huh. Embarrassment can be good. It's a particular human response that indicates that, you know, boundaries might be threatened. It also signifies 
that these matters are very significant, which they are. And you strip that all away, and, and kids are weaker. So when I was growing up, it was very fashionable, for example, to say talking about private parts is the same as talking about an elbow. Right. Okay? And this is this is was from the beginning. This is how sex ed was presented in schools. And but I think now that we've all seen Britney Spears' elbow, so to speak, uh-huh. you know, Kim Kardashian's <laughs> elbow, right? Yeah. We're starting to see that, you know, an elbow is sometimes more than an elbow if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. If you don't know what I mean, then never mind. But really we don't need to see. <laughs> right? So yeah, elbow, completely. So the ne- <laughs> right? And then the next issue is really what's wrong with touching someone's private area if it's only an elbow, right? Right. The whole philosophy of sex ed as taught in the schools isn't really internally consistent because they try to talk about harassment and consent, but it's all in the context of sex is no big deal. Right. And and in that context, unfortunately, harassment and assault will always get worse, and indeed they have gotten worse. Right, and and there's been a lot of different articles from places. Uh, The last two studies I saw were from Australia and Great Britain about a huge spike in assaults uh, of of boys on little girls and sometimes even, uh, you know, little boys on little boys after the sex ed curriculum was gone through because uh, at times they were just testing things out and trying to experiment with the things they'd heard about. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm not here to tell parents, what to do. I never like to do that. I just want to share my own story. Mm-hmm. And I was born in 1975. Um, and we, I went to public school in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And in fourth grade, we started the sex ed. And I just want to give parents the confidence, if they're thinking about pulling their kids out, to feel comfortable to do that. Because right. my parents pulled me out in fourth grade, and without exaggeration, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. The, the, the teacher said to my mother, do you want her to be whispering in the locker room? And, and my mom's response was so interesting. She said, yes, I do. In other words, these are really seriously important issues. It's not just like math. And boys never teased me. I would just pretend I didn't know what they were talking about, I learned it was okay to be different, to not be part of a discussion sometimes. You know what I'm saying? To uh-huh. forge my to forge my own path. And these were all very valuable lessons. So, you know, if parents are thinking about it, I'm not here to tell parents who think the sex ed curriculum, you know, that it's great. I'm not here to change their mind. But I do want to give them the confidence that they, if they're on the fence and they're worried how it will impact, right. path, that it will only be positive to pull them out. Well, and it's interesting because it seems that when we value some things, we we accidentally devalue other things. And, and, and you're a mother. I'm, I'm I'm the oldest of of five siblings, and I know that uh, you know, my youngest sister, for for the longest time, did not know what any of these things meant. And my mother told her that if she wanted to know, that that information was available for her, but she didn't have to know if she didn't want to. And it seems that to a degree, we've traded sort of uh, you know wide-eyed knowledge of of, of the way things are and material that we used to refer to as adult material for a reason, and we've traded this all in for innocence, which is a word that has virtually no meaning and no value anymore. That's such an interesting point, and I think it's 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 beautiful the way that your mom was open about talking about mm-hmm. these things, and I think that's how these matters need to be taught, 
at home in the context of I love you, I want what's best for you, and in the context of what is an ideal relationship as opposed to what they see on, on TV. And I think one of the most damaging things about the culture now is that a lot of boys feel like they have the right to access uh-huh. to uh-huh. girls' bodies. They have the right to see them, to touch them, to ask for naked pictures, to be sexed to them, you know. Uh-huh. And when they start going out, they have the right to sexual favors. And what's wrong with you if you're not participating? Right. And modesty is always pathologized and equated with shame. And, you know, even though I grew up in a secular Jewish family and went to public school, I think it was so great that I learned from my parents, you always have the right to opt out. You know, just because it's swirling around you doesn't mean you have to participate. So I try to send young people the message in my books that their romantic idealism, it's not a hang-up. Right. Waiting until you've had the time to establish someone's good character, that's a very worthwhile thing. There's nothing wrong with them for wanting to wait. And and I think that's what we we have to kind of decouple modesty from shame because people wrongly assume that if you don't want to participate in what society, you know, expects of you that you're you're ashamed of your body and it's not true. Well, it's quite interesting because, of course, we we live in in the porn generation to a large degree as well, and the, the numbers continually go up. Uh, in in yeah. North America, it's 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 nearing close to eighty three percent of men every month, and that's very much shaping the way the genders see each other to a large degree too. And when you add that to the sex education mix, it makes things a lot more toxic. Because when I speak with high school students, they often tell me uh, that there's enormous pressure to do various things, and it's often because they they're learning the mechanics but but completely uncoupled from anything that used to mean anything which which the one the one thing notably missing from the sex ed curriculum is the word love because of course uh, our 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 modern society can't define that and fair enough they, it's school they don't need to give it a shot at the same time maybe that's a good reason they should leave the mechanics of it out i think that's a really brilliant point and i think that this is a much bigger issue, and that, to be honest, pornography has really subsumed a lot of the sex ed debate. Uh-huh. If we're going to be honest about it, it's almost like putting the cart before the ho- horse when parents are understandably upset about what's taught in schools, but on the other hand, are we really facing what our teenagers are exposed to online? Right now, most boys today are getting their sex ed from from pornography, mm-hmm. and that is a huge difference from when I was growing up. So I think, even, and this is the most fringe, sick pornography. Also, things we can't even you know we can't even talk about on radio. Absolutely. Nor would we want to, and it's really affected them. And we wonder why are some boys, why are so many boys raping drunk girls and uploading the videos. Well, they're making their own pornography, and they're proud of their videos, and the police are just mystified why these boys are not ashamed to share the videos of these crimes. Well, there's a, as you rightly point out, there's a desensitization that's taking place. So I would be very curious. I don't know if you have a sense because you've been talking about this issue, mm-hmm. but I would be very curious of the parents who object to the sex ed curriculum in Ontario, how many have an Internet? filter at home. I would love to know that. 
And, and that would be very interesting because, as you point out, pornography today is, is quite sick. So regardless of whether or not a parent uh, feels him or herself quite liberated in the area of sexual ideology, uh, pornography at this point has become so dark and so twisted uh, You know that, that the vast majority of those who would qualify themselves as sexually liberated feminists would also be extremely opposed to it, as well they should. But it's interesting when you brought up the, the term the term sexting, which is, of course, a, a sort of an exploding phenomenon over the last five or ten years. And I'm only 26, but at the same time, uh, the, the phones that we were equipped with in, when I was in high school weren't actually uh, powerful enough or complicated enough to do any of these things. And one of the things that I, I've noticed is that this plays back to pornography as well, because it should come as no surprise to people that when a, a boy spends, uh, you know, hours at night looking at pictures of, of, of hundreds of different naked women, uh, the fact that he should want to see the women he sees at school that same way shouldn't surprise anyone. It's sort of like personalized pornography almost. Exactly. Well, you're being, you know, you're approaching it in a very rational way, but uh, unfortunately a lot of people are kind of in denial at, about the issue, and I'm sure you're familiar with the whole uh, helicopter parent debate. I'm sure your listeners are familiar mm-hmm. with that. And you have parents reporting on other parents if they see, you know, a nine-year-old walking home from the park alone, or you know, right. a ridiculous thing like a mother is mailing a letter, like you know, right in front of her car, and the baby's asleep in the car, and uh, you know, and <laughs> people will pick up the phone and call the police. And we have such anxiety about physical safety of children. But yet, when these kids come home, you know, they have unfiltered Internet. What about what's happening inside the child? Isn't that just as, if not more important? Uh-huh. And I, I feel like there's no attention paid to that. And, in fact, there was a study that found that 70% of teens said that pornography has a damaging impact on young people's views of, of sex and relationships. Right. And because, as you said, there's nothing about intimacy there. It's no. a warped slice of so-called reality that has nothing to do with the reality of men and women in loving relationships. And, you know, young people themselves are saying it's damaging, but yet it's everywhere. Right. Well, they recognize that to some degree it's sexual cannibalism, right? It's the one-sided consumption of another human being. There's no real and meaningful interaction taking place. That's a good term. That's interesting. And so you look, you live in Toronto, and you've been seeing these protests these against, uh, you know, Premier Kathleen Wynne's sex ed curriculum take place. And I don't know about you, but I'm extremely surprised because, you know, as you write in your book uh, in the chapter of the War on Embarrassment, modern sex education has been here for quite some time. It's contained disturbing elements for quite some time, and it's had a disturbing impact for quite some time. But suddenly in, in, in 2014, 2015, uh, enough seems to have been enough. And people are, are furious with this new sex ed curriculum. There's tens of thousands of people protesting in front of MPP's office, in front of Queen's Park. Uh, you know, as far away as Windsor, this, these protests are taking place. And while I appreciate much of what they have to say, I, ha- I have to say that, that I'm surprised uh, that, that this pushback has been so loud and so sustained. What do you think of what's taking place? I, I think it's quite exciting, but also quite unique. It is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because, as I said, I'm from the States. I'm now living in Toronto. I've lived here for for 12 years. Um, But a lot of what's in the details, I I think it is accurate to say that it's putting Ontario on par Mm -hmm. with a lot of what has been in U.S. 
certainly the, the U.S. curricula for some time. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of fascinating that there is this foiling over point. I think, I think because of what is going on, as we discussed, the rest of what's happening mm -hmm. and swirling around us, and, 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 and because a lot of parents maybe they don't know how to install an Internet filter or they don't know to ha how to have discussions with their kids about these issues. Um, maybe the sex ed aspect is something that they do feel that they can control, and I think that's great. I very much disagree with the philosophy that, oh, uh, somebody told me when I was talking about co-ed sleepovers uh -huh. once in, in Berkeley for teenagers, and this guy with a graying ponytail stood up and said, well, you know, my daughter was invited to a co-ed sleepover, and, you know, everyone's doing it, and what do you expect me to say, no? Uh-huh. And, and I said, well, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, your daughter might want you to say no. I disagree with the philosophy that because things are so bad, therefore we should just roll over and give up. I, I think it is beautiful right. that if this is an area they can control and do something about, good for them. Pull their kids out. I think it, to their benefit. But I'm also saying, but let's look at the whole picture. Do you have an Internet filter at home? Mm -hmm. Are you having discussions with your kids? Because that's what really needs to happen. Well, you mentioned this, this gray tail pony, uh, this, uh, this ponytail fail, saying that he couldn't say no, which is an interesting way of segueing into our next question, because one of the things that we see sort of culturally is, on one hand, people are, are paralyzing, uh, afraid of, of letting their kid, you know, walk down the street. On the flip side, we're increasingly willing to grant to children the, the right to make any sort of a decision in the most bizarre fashion. Dutch pediatricians just advocated last week for children under the age of 12 being allowed to opt for euthanasia, for example. Um, yeah, that's just, it's, it's, I think that's just crazy. It, it's, a it's a children's crusade through and through. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's obviously other motives at play here, but this is just to illustrate the point that in the most dramatic fashion, uh, children are basically being informed that they don't need to be children. At the same time, parents are opting out of being parents because, as you say, saying no is, is precisely the job of a parent, especially when saying no could protect the safety of the children. And this also involves, of course, mode of dress quite a bit. And there was this recent controversy uh, last month in Toronto uh, that ended up being called Crop Top Day, where a girl wore, um, according to the pictures in the newspaper, very little to school. And the teachers objected for a variety of reasons, one, that it violated dress code, two, that it was distracting to other people trying to get their education. And it turned into this a sort of, of of mini revolution where people were wearing this clothes these these clothes or lack thereof to school uh, across the province and it was it was sort of termed as as some sort of a, of a liberation movement although the only thing that was particularly being liberated were body parts. <laughs> yes, I was following this controversy. I was fascinated by it. And, you know, how does it make sense? If you listen to what the young women were saying, they said they were protesting over sexualization. Uh -huh. That's what they were saying. So let's take a step back. How does it make sense to protest over sexualization by displaying more of one's body? I mean, would you protest unfair wages by working for free? Right. You know, in any other context, it wouldn't make sense. So I think the issue is we really misunderstand modesty. And these young women have been taught 
that modesty is a political tool that's foisted on girls. Right. And, you know, that is true. It's important to acknowledge in some cultures, which is really a tragedy, but it's also important to recognize that's a perversion of what real modesty is about. So right. I think where are these young women coming from? You know, they understandably, they're reacting against that, and they're saying, I'm going to show my body, and it should mean nothing. That's what they're that's what they're saying. Well, when you're in diapers, you know, a naked body is cute, and it doesn't mean anything. But when we get older, for humans who wear clothing, you know, it does mean something to reveal more of the body and emphasize private areas. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the key is having a deeper understanding of modesty, not just a superficial one. On a, on a side note, though, and this, this has even changed since you wrote your book, I would almost make the argument that uh, the novelty of thinking that dressing in very little or nothing at all is somehow, you know, dangerous or cutting edge is almost a bit droll now. If you consider, you know, the parades that happen, there's there's nudist parades. The, the gay pride parade consists yeah. of a lot of people um, that that are wearing virtually next to nothing. Of course, there's the wide consumption of pornography. I think a lot of the billboards in, in Young and Dundas Square are right. borderline pornographic. So it, it's interesting that. I feel like the teenagers who are showing up in their crop tops are a bit late to the party. Um, everybody's doing it already, and it's right. just a way of sort of appearing dangerous because you're sort of defying this residual modesty that people have left, and you're going to offend the sensibilities <laughs> right, right. of just a of, 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 of a few kind elderly people that are around still. But in reality, there's nothing quite as as conforming as that. I think that is a brilliant point, and I think that that is what's going on. Under the guise of empowerment, they're actually doing what's expected, really, because, as you point out, you know, that's what most men want to see. That's what Mm -hmm. all the fashion designers want. So there's really no rebellion going on at all, right? But still, why do they feel that way? And I think, again, it all gets back to how we misunderstand modesty, which is why I wrote my book 16 years ago. Mm Real modesty, to me, is having an internal sense of self. Right. Okay, so when one of the students who started this crop top day, I heard her on the radio, she said she was celebrating her birthday by choosing this special outfit. I can really understand where she's coming from. I mean, can't you understand that? Absolutely. As a a parent, I I can understand that. She's coming from a really good place. She's just trying to wear something pretty and fashionable, and I totally get that. But the problem is if girls identify themselves with their bodies and the basis of their self-esteem is their bodies, well, the body declines with age, Uh right? So ultimately your self-esteem is going to go out the window. It's not going to be lasting. Uh So I think to present wearing a crop top as an ideal for for teenagers to rally around is, is really a mistake. You know, because as you say, that's what everybody wants to see. There's no rebellion. Right. And ultimately, I'd love to see young people to say, you know, saying on their birthdays, I'm going to celebrate it by doing something good for someone else. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we need to get to. Why am I here? What's unique about me to contribute to the world? You know, I think that's ultimately where we need to get to, not seeing your body as a source of self-esteem. And it's interesting because one of the reasons I loved your book so much is is it cut through a lot of the the left versus right din. I, I've done a lot of 
of writing and broadcasting on the, on the concept of rape culture, and I sort of dodged the whole uh, rates of sexual assault argument on that issue completely, and I point out that if over 80% of our population is consuming pornography and over 80% of pornography now highlights uh, sexual assault and rape, then we have a society that's viewing and consuming this type of thing as entertainment. That, to my mind, is, is rape culture, regardless of whether or not statistics on other areas are being inflated or not. And totally. we seem to be sort of trapped in this shouting game um, where the right just wants to um, you know, make assertions that basically anything the left says is wrong. The left wants to stick to liberation regardless of whether or not this has been damaging in any way. But we have a, a country of girls now who have been defined by, well, if you look at video games, pornography, the music industry, the advertising industry, the film industry, when a girl shows up to school on a crop top and then takes pictures with a bunch of cheerleaders in the front yard and that gets published in the National Post, I can't think of anything uh, that fits that mold better. But how do you sort of encourage them? Because I, I listened to a bunch of arguments on the radio and read a few in the newspaper, and reasonable arguments don't seem to come through. You make this argument about modesty. Since the publication of your book, how many people have responded positively to your arguments? Because in the foreword here to the to this uh, new version that I read, uh, you even pointed out that you had a lot of backlash from other people at university when you first wrote the book. You know, when my first when my book first came out 16 years ago, the mainstream media was very upset at me. Mm. Uh, I, I was attacked. Um, I even got death threats from some people. And even my friends were asking me, you know, why write this book? It was, it was like such an unpopular issue. Uh-huh. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, it's been in print for 16 years. Um, people keep getting it, talking about modesty, and nobody says it any. Nobody says anymore. Why write a book about modesty? Every thinking person, everyone raising children today, understands there's a desperate need to instill boundaries and an appreciation for those boundaries. So over the past 16 years, I've really seen society change. Right. And the very newspapers that attacked me are now making some of the same arguments, and they're saying, you know what, we really do need to talk about this. I think the key is it has to be an equal expectation. Right. We have to raise boys to respect boundaries and uh-huh. to appreciate modesty. And, you know, my I, I'm Jewish, so we're raising our kids, um, you know, it, with Jewish values. And uh-huh. my 10-year-old son, when he sees an ad that's inappropriate, he looks the other way because that's a really important part of being a Jewish male, something we value in Judaism, that both men and women can control themselves. Absolutely. Yes, we have have impulses, but we can be stronger. We can reach higher. And I think as long as the message is geared to both, I think it it really does appeal to young people. I've gotten a huge, hugely positive response from young people. It's sort of answering the question that G.K. Chesterton asked, you know, he said to never tear down a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place. We're starting to find out why these fences were put up. Hmm. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Wendy Shallot.
author of A Return to Modesty and The Good Girl Revolution, among other books. She's been widely published. Her book has been reviewed by the New York Times. Uh, the 15th anniversary edition of, of A Return to Modesty just came out. It's actually the copy that I myself bought. Uh, it's It's got an updated introduction for sort of the you know the 21st century I highly recommend this book it's one of those books that I can't recommend highly enough so if you've never read the book yourself I do will go out and buy it and I hope you all enjoyed the show thank you so much for tuning in and we hope you'll join us again next week thanks have a great weekend